Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be in Philippians just for one second, and then we're going to be in the book of Acts. And you'll see why here in a second. We had a really great time, several months in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we wanted to, in an uncertain time, in a season that's a little bit hairy, you turn on the TV and you see it's crazy, you turn on the internet, or get on the internet, and you see how divided everything and everyone is. We wanted to continue on with the theme of Ecclesiastes into the book of Philippians, and and we're going to see joy in the midst of trial. And there's a lot of trial in our day, and we want to fight for joy. We don't want to just survive. We want to have the joy of the Lord. And in fact, Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so today we're in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and in Acts chapter 16. And so if you want to find those two places, you can. The sermon title this morning is The Church Planted. The Church Planted. Let me read Philippians 1, 1. I'll pray, and then we're going to flip over to the book of Acts. Philippians 1, 1, the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we need wisdom and direction. Thank you that we get to come to you. And as the people of God, when we come together, uh, just like Jesus, as he overturned the temple, and he, this is a house of prayer, You're, where your presence is, where your people are coming to gather, whether that's a church building or in a field somewhere or in our homes, we come as people of prayer because we're dependent. We're not an independent people. We need you. We're dependent upon you. And so we're expressing our need and we're also declaring the supply of our need, that God, you're going to meet with us here, that you are meeting with us here. And we know that you're here with us. You're leading us. You're guiding us. And so as we get into your word, you're the one who wrote it. And so open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We want to respond the way you would have us respond. We want to stand in awe that the gospel cannot be stopped. Even if you put Paul and Silas in chains, even, if, you, even if, if they put us in chains, the gospel cannot be stopped. And like Paul and Silas, we'll be singing along with them. If we're in the same situation, we'll sing and pray and see you work and trust that you're going to keep working. God, help us, lead us. We trust you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few preliminaries before we get into the book of Acts, Acts 16. Some things that we need to be made aware of, and we see it right in verse 1 in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. This book was written by the Apostle Paul and to some degree Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Timothy was greatly influential in this book, as was Paul, who is the primary author. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, most likely in prison in Rome, and it most likely was at the end of his life. And so, as he finally made his way to Rome, as he's in prison, he's thinking back and the Holy Spirit is leading him to write churches to whom he had previously been. And the church in Macedonia was a collection of different cities. Macedonia was a region like Galatia. And so Galatia, kind of like a county or a region, southern Illinois has several different towns or communities in southern Illinois. A county has several, several different villages or cities within it. Macedonia was like this. It was a Macedonian region and it had several little cities and Philippi was a city in the region of Macedonia. And Philippi was one of the churches that supported Paul financially. So they would give him things, supplies for his missionary journeys, and they would give him financial support for his missionary journey. For instance, when he was in Corinth, when Paul was in Corinth, he did his work as a tent maker. 
and he didn't receive funding from the church in Corinth because he was receiving funding from the work of his hands and from the church in Philippi. So the churches of Macedonia really loved the Apostle Paul. And they heard about Paul's imprisonment. So they, you know, there's a kind of a, not a gossip string, but, a, you know, from town to town, there's information that would travel. And Christians would travel from city to city and tell other Christians news and happenings around the people of God. And so what's going on at, at Colossae or what's going on over in the Galatian area? People would go back and forth and let people know what's going on within the church. And somehow or another, word got to the city of Philippi that Paul was in prison at Rome. And so upon hearing that, the church in Philippi said, hey, we got to do something about this. And so if we're the church of Philippi, we would select one person. We'd say, hey, Brandon, you're going to go and you're going to take the supplies and the money. And we want you to go to Paul and minister to Paul. And then in time, he'll send you back and you'll give us word about how Paul is doing. And so they gathered their supplies, gathered their money, and they gave them to a man named Epaphroditus. Not Brandon, Epaphroditus. There's not many people in our day named Epaphroditus, but Epaphroditus took all these supplies to the Apostle Paul, ministered to the Apostle Paul in Rome, and then Paul, upon writing this letter, sent it back with Epaphroditus so the church in Philippi could have it. It was a healthy church, this church, from all we can tell. Uh, this church really cared about the Apostle Paul. They really did well during persecution. They really thrived even when the pressure was on. They were steadfast. They were, con they were consistent. Even though there was some theological backbiting back and forth, there was a couple argumentative women in the city of Philippi that Paul has to address. There is some minor squibbles and things that went on that he had to talk through and work through with them. But primarily, it is a letter of an encouragement saying, thank you for your faithfulness. It's clear that God is at work in you. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Epaphroditus brought it back. This church really cared about Paul, and they really, really cared about the mission of God. But before we get into chapter 1 in great detail, I want us to go back to the beginning of the church in Philippi, because every church has a story about how they began. You can't have a church without Christians. You can't have a church without Christians, because the people of God come together and assemble together, and an assembly becomes a church. Individual Christians, we are the church, but the church means assembly. And so what we need to do as the people of God is continue to not neglect to gather together, like Hebrews tells us. We continue to come together and we assemble. And so Jesus purchased a people or an assembly. And so this assembly got started at some point, and we're going to go back and we're going to see in the book of Acts how it got started, and it's pretty remarkable. We get to see the power of the gospel moving forward in a Roman city that did not know the Lord at all. It's a pretty amazing story about the power of the gospel. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to start with a Macedonian call in verse 6, and we're going to go down through verse, verse 10, and we're going to see how Paul and Silas ended up in the city of Philippi. Acts 16, verse 6. Pretty remarkable story. And they went through the, the region of... I always practice words, and then when I get to the words, when I'm preaching. So, Phyrega and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Masia, Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Tros. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So Paul, Timothy, and, and Silas were in a very similar spot that we get often in our lives. We are not traveling missionaries. We are not apostles traveling and starting new works and moving from city to city. Um, most of the time when we read the book of Acts, we kind of put ourselves in the, in the position of Paul or, some, or Philip or different evangelists. But for most believers, we're, we are like the city of Philippi, the church in Philippi. We're going to be in one place, in one location for a very long time, living out the Great Commission in our homes and in our communities. But Paul and Silas and Timothy were, were, were unique in the fact that they were going out and traveling and being funded to travel to start new works. And they would go and they would proclaim and tear down idols and do a bunch of cool stuff, start riots and fights and see the God of the universe show up and save people. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy were wondering, okay, what's next? We've been doing this work. Where are we going next? And so they begin to inquire of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit began to shut down their plans. And we're told that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's interesting. They wanted to go to Asia, and somehow or another, the Holy Spirit communicated to them, nope, don't go there. You are forbidden from preaching there. It's not there. They were forbidden. So then they tried to go to Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, would not allow them to go to Bithynia either. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by to Mysia, they went down to Tros, and then Paul gets a vision. Now at this point, we'll see in a little bit, in Philippi, there were no Christians yet. And yet Paul gets this vision of somebody in this Macedonian region, and in this vision, somebody says to him, hey, come to Macedonia and help us. Now, it's fascinating, there is no us yet. There's no us in Macedonia yet. There's no Christians yet in this region. But as Paul, Silas, and Timothy were praying, and as Paul saw this vision, come help us in Macedonia, they turned to each other and discerned together, this is where God wants us to go. We got a no, a no, and then a vision, and they prayed and concluded, this is it. We're going to Macedonia. And so they got together, they set sail from Tros to Macedonia, and the journey continues. Look at verse 11. So setting sail from Tros, we made a direct voyage from Samothrace and following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate on the riverside where we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And who heard us, a woman, one who heard us was a woman named and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So after they concluded, we're going to Macedonia, we're following this vision. They got on a boat, sailed across the sea, and finally made it to Macedonia, boots on the ground. Now Macedonia, we're told, was a Roman colony. It was a medium-sized city. It wasn't a very, very large city. It was a medium-sized city. So in today's scale, like the, the population differences would be, would be there. But a city, some, something like the difference between a big city would be a Chicago. A big city would be um, a place like New York City. You know, a Chattanooga-sized city, 100,000 people, something like that. That would be somewhat of a comparable size of city. Not population-wise, but just a medium-sized city is what Philippi would have been. It was a Roman city, and so Roman influence is there. And after a few days, when there were boots on the ground, maybe they stayed a couple days at a B&B or... Some, uh, some stable or some hotel or something, slept outside by the river, who knows. 
they thought there's probably a place of worship on the other side of the river. And so that first Sabbath they go and they go to try to find people who were Jews. They tried to find a Jewish population who were worshipers of God so they could go and evangelize that Jewish group of people and tell them about the Messiah, that in fact the Messiah had come. So they get there and they find a group of women gathered together for worship. No men, just women. There were women there and were introduced to this lady named Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy lady. Most likely she was a widow because she ended up being the head of her household. So we know that there was no man in that home. And so we don't know her backstory. We don't know if he died. We don't know if he left. We don't know the whole story. But we do know that she was a woman of affluence because she was a seller of purple goods. Purple, the dye, was very, very expensive. And so we know if Lydia had access to that sort of thing. And if she was selling that sort of product, she had a very wealthy clientele. And so Lydia was a well-to-do lady out worshiping God. In fact, we're told that she actually worshiped God. She didn't know about Jesus yet, but she was there doing her thing and worshiping the Lord with this group of women. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, approaching this Jewish gathering, begin to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And all these ladies were there, but there was only one lady who heard what was going on, this late lady Lydia. And there's a reason that Lydia heard. Because God did something. Look at verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. There was a group of women there, and God, reasons that we only know are in his heart and in his heart alone, we cannot determine or understand even why, God opened Lydia's heart, and Lydia leaned in and listened to what Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to say. The other ladies did not. And so her heart was open to pay attention, and she, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, believed that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. She believed in Christ. And not only did she believe in Christ, but she went home, and we're told that her whole family was baptized. God did a work. God saved Lydia and then used Lydia through her household to the point where now we finally have one household, one group that was saved and baptized. We have Christians now in Philippi. The first Christians in Philippi, this wealthy, affluent lady named Lydia. God did a work. Uh, it's a powerful thing when God saves a soul. You guys have seen this. Uh, you've been saved, and you know what it was like. Uh, why did you start paying attention to something you'd heard of or heard about for so long? What made you start paying attention? And you start tracing it back, and your story's just like Lydia. You start, you know, your like life and walk with the Lord. You've, you, I'm sure that before you came to Christ, you probably heard the gospel before, or maybe had somebody in your life that was a Christian that, that may have been praying for you or talking to you quite a bit. And you'd heard it, but you'd never heard it. And then all of a sudden, you started thinking things differently. You started thinking differently. You started having questions you didn't have before, and, and things started troubling you that didn't trouble you before. This, this is Lydia. God opened her heart to hear what was said. She had heard, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, she was hearing. She trusted in Jesus, and God used her to bring the gospel to her household as well. So now we have a family. And then it's almost like a complete 180. God doesn't just work in this wealthy, affluent lady's house in Macedonia. She, God also begins to work in a, uh, a, a little girl, a little slave girl. And we actually don't know if this little slave girl ever became a Christian, but we do know that the power of Christ came to her life. We know that she was set free 
from demonic influence. We're not told exactly what happened, but we are given a powerful scene. Look at verse 16. We shift our attention from Lydia, the wealthy seller of purple, to this demon-possessed slave girl. Verse 16. As we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain in fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, several years ago, I wrote an article about this. I think I titled, titled it Demonically Good Theology. And no, I, no, I titled it Demonically Good Theology. Because what this little girl was saying, this little slave girl who had the spirit of divination upon her, what she was saying was true. Amen. She was declaring the truth. Is Jesus not the Most High God? And are these men not servants proclaiming, servants of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation? That's exactly what they were doing. But this girl, you can say the right thing in the wrong way and it'd be very demonic. You can say the right thing in the wrong way, and it'd be very demonic. She's saying the true things, true things about Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but following them around for days. I mean, over and over again. The, the dripping, talk about a dripping faucet. I mean, talk about somebody, it's like my son comes to me every morning. He comes to us, and he's like, he's not demon-possessed and asking this, but he's always asking for fruit snacks. You know, first thing that Valerie wakes up, Mom, can I have fruit snacks? Like, can I have fruit snacks? Can I have fruit snacks? All day long. The other day, it was... 50 times, probably, that Valor asked for fruit snacks. Can we have fruit snacks? No fruit snacks. Son, we can't. No fruit snacks. I don't know what they put. It's like nicotine-laced fruit snacks or something. I don't know. But this girl, this little slave girl, brought a lot of money to her owners and was walking around incessantly saying, these are servants of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation over and over and over and over and over and over again for days. Paul's like, Timothy, Silas, I'm literally, I think this is a demon. This is, I can't, we can't even do our work because they're here. This, this girl is annoying. She is so annoying. We've got to do something about this. I, I can't handle it. Can't even drink my coffee. She's just right here. Everybody's looking at us and not even hearing what we're saying because of this girl. So they discern that this, in fact, was a demon. And so Paul, with the authority of the Holy Spirit, turns the very authority of Jesus Christ, and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Now, I want you to know this. I don't know the degree, uh, there's ways in which Satan is bound in this world because of the work of Christ, that Jesus came to work to destroy the works of the devil. But also the devil is a roaring lion. He travels to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And I don't know all the complexities of the spiritual warfare and you know, we're told in Ephesians 6 that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in dark places. And so we, we know that there's demonic activity. But here's what I also know. We, should, we have authority over Satan and demons. We have authority over Satan and demons. We should not be afraid. Those exorcist weird movies and stuff like that, when we come in, it's not we who shake in our boots. It's the devil. Because we have the Spirit of God alive in us. And with the authority the Apostle Paul had, he looked and said, come out of that girl. And that demon fled. That very hour, she was well. Now, I would love if we would have had a bow on top of it, but God didn't see fit to do that. 
I would love if we would have found out this little slave girl became a Christian. But this is the last we hear about her. So she was set free, saying true things in a demonic way. And she finally, after much annoyance of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, she got set free. And so they're slave owners, and they're not happy now because their income is robbed. This girl made a lot of money for them. And so they're frustrated. Who do you think you are messing with their property? And so they get upset, and they decide to do something to Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They just did this benevolent thing, this powerful thing. The power of God shows up. A little girl gets set free, and people get enraged. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans or accept or practice. The crowds joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their garments off and gave them orders to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner room, in the inner prison, excuse me, and fastened their feet in stocks. Now we find in 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, Paul says this, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, Paul remembered this beating. He remembered this. We were treated shamefully. You've been treated shamefully before. There's just a shame that comes for it. It's embarrassing. Or shame and embarrassment. There's, there's, there's deep wounds, not just physically, that go deep into the soul of a person. They were treated shamefully. And so they did this work. The owners get mad. They're obeying God, bringing the authority of the kingdom of God into the public square. And then it seems like they begin to lose. The magistrates say, nope. They stripped them naked, beat them with rods, and throw them into the inner cell of the prison, shackled in chains. Naked, beaten, shackled. Seems like things are going pretty bad, not going well. The scene is dark, it's dreary, they're bloody, they're sore, joints are aching, the blood, you know, when you hurt your, your body, you can feel the blood just pumping to your veins. If you've been beaten by rods, your back is swelled up, you're trying to sleep, you can't sleep. I mean, I'd be tending the wounds, they probably took care of each other. In my mind, I'd be complaining, we just helped that little girl, those jerks. Like, how dare them? Don't, don't they know that we're Roman citizens? This is supposed to be a Roman city. Like, can you believe that? Tell you what, if I get out of here. <sighs> Talk about ego, pride, stripped naked and beaten. And we can read through passages like this, but not actually be there. We can read through it and just blow through it in a Bible reading plan, but not actually feel the weight of it. They were obeying God bringing the power and the authority of the Spirit, the fact that Jesus is Lord over this little girl. And they were beaten, stripped, beaten, and shackled for it. Their obedience to God led to a dungeon. 
me just ask you, wasn't it right for them to cast that, little, that demon out of that little girl? That was the right action, wasn't it? It was a good action. That little girl was probably pretty happy about that. And they find themselves in a terrible place. But what is it that they did when they were naked, bloody, shackled in the dungeon? We, we know this. We sang about it when we were kids. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So, of course, Paul and Silas, I mean, they're in prison, and instead of trying to get some sleep, tossing and turning and complaining, they're like, hey, Silas, you want to sing? This is a great opportunity. What? Amazing Grace? You know, they didn't have Amazing Grace, but... You want to sing some hymns? Everybody will hear us. They, can't, they can beat us, but they can't stop us from singing and praying. I mean, everybody's trying to get some sleep, but we might as well just sing some songs. Like, well, I don't know, Paul. They may be mad at us for singing some songs. I just, I mean, yeah, we probably should do that. You're right. Let's pray. We'll pray out loud. Don't pray secret. We'll pray out loud. Everybody will hear us praying. And so through the pain, through the blood, even though they're naked and shackled, they start singing hymns. <laughs> and all the prisoners here. And they start praying. And they start having a worship service right there in the dungeon. It doesn't seem like things are going well. But God doesn't work the way we think he should work. See, God had somebody at that jail that needed them to be there. God had somebody at that jail that needed them to be there. They didn't know it. And maybe this man was that man in the vision that said, come over, we need help in Macedonia. You see, there was a man who has a whole backstory we don't know about. He, was a, he worked for the DOC, Department of Corrections. He was in this jail cell, and his family, they didn't know God. He went to prison. He went to work that day, just like any other day. He was under the authority of the Roman Empire. He goes to work, was told, shackle him. Don't, you keep these two safe. And he's on guard, and he starts hearing these guys start to sing. What? You hearing this? Roger, you hearing this? Tim, you hearing this? You guys are in there singing. Can you believe that? What in the world? What else are they going to do? Complain about it? Try to get some sleep? I mean, it is midnight after all. What else are they going to do? Wine? It's amazing what the Holy Spirit will strengthen you to do when, you're, when you know your weakness. It's just unbelievable. They're praying and singing. That's what they were doing. Then in verse 26, let's see what God did. In verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds unfastened. <laughs> As they're singing, the building starts to shake. A great earthquake and they're thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? They're not yet had time to figure out what's going on and then all of a sudden these gates, they start hearing the gates break and the doors break and these doors just fling open. And all of a sudden we're like, you're shaking so hard and I look down my, hey, my shackles, Silas, are you seeing this? We're free. It wasn't just them, it was everybody there. God did this massive, amazing thing. Everybody's bonds were unfastened and then something happened to this jailer, the Philippian jailer, look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud, loud voice, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights to be rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour in the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized, and he baptized them at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set, foot, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with all his family, his entire family, that he had believed in God. The jailer wakes, wakes up, literally tries to kill himself, and in a moment, knowing that he had broken the law that was commanded to him, he has not protected the prisoners. He was told by the, the Roman guard to, to watch these prisoners, thinks they're free. Paul says, no, don't, don't, don't. And this man knows this moment, I have got to know what is going on. They have the answer. They have what I need. I've got to go ask him. And he goes and brings the lights in. And he sits before him and, guys, what must I do to be saved? In Philippi, whole region of Macedonia, there's one family, that's it, that knows Jesus. And it looks as if the enemy is wanting to stomp this out. It looks as if Paul and Silas were on retreat. They were losing. It looked really bad. Their wounds were still fresh enough to dress after they got out of prison. And yet this man, through the power of God, breaking these chains, there's a lot of metaphors to that that we could go into. The jailer, what must I do? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You don't have to travel land and sea. You don't have to devote your whole life to good works. You don't have to do everything and clean yourself up first. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your household. So then they get Paul and Silas. They get them out and they go and they bring him. This, this prison guard, the Philippian jailer, brings them to his house. And then they are preaching the gospel and proclaiming the, the gospel in that home. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they're now at his house. And then they dressed their wounds that were still fresh enough to be dressed. And then they went and baptized the Philippian jailer and his family. Remarkable story. So we have two households, two houses, two families that are saved in Philippi. So we have a church. It's a small church. The fascinating thing is that afterwards, we see here in a little bit, afterwards, after they get out, there's already brothers. Um, so the church is Lydia and her family. We don't know how big the household was, but Lydia and her family. Maybe the slave girl, the jailer and his family in this moderately large Roman city. And then in verse 40... Look at this. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Somehow or another, in just a quick period of time, Lydia, the jailer, and the brothers. So it seems, unless it was the traveling companions of Paul, that there were other people that had quickly become converted as well. So we have a ragtag bunch that compiles, that makes up, the composition of the Philippian church. We have a church planted. Already the gospel is beginning to spread in Philippi. We don't know the whole story. 
of all or how that it happened, but God started saving people. Could one of those people, could it have been the jailer, could it have been Lydia, could one of those people been the person in, in Paul's vision? Maybe upon talking to the Philippian jailer or seeing Lydia, he's like, oh my gosh, that's who I saw who said, come help us in Macedonia. We don't know. But God would continue to work through this region, through these families. The gospel would continue to spread. And this church would become a church that Paul would look to and say, hey, other churches, look, to this, look at the church of the Macedonians. Look to the Macedonians. They're doing so many awesome things. God is working through them. God would continue to open hearts as he did Lydia's. And the church would end up being one of Paul's, if not Paul's, biggest supporter. Group of women worshiping Yahweh. One meets Jesus. Jailhouse, after healing a demoniac. Jailhouse, it looks like it's squashed, done, and over. The jailer meets Jesus. And then God continues to do his work. Friends, the gospel of Jesus cannot be stopped. I want you to hear this because 2020, people in 2020 need to hear this. The gospel of Jesus will not be stopped by anyone. Nobody. If Joe and Kamala, Kamala get elected, they can't stop the gospel. And I don't want them to get elected. But they cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. No communist regime in the world can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. No dictator, no evil ruler, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, nobody can stop the power of the gospel. The church at Philippi was in small way, and assault in some, some way, the church of Philippi was launched, propelled forward through persecution and prison ministry. Through persecution and prison ministry. It would seem as if, through persecution and prison ministry, that Satan was kicking their butt. It would seem, upon being even shipwrecked as Paul was, a beaten, stripped, naked, and shackled, as if the gospel was not moving forward. But nothing can stop the God of the universe. Chapter 1, you can flip back to, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Here's what happens when the people of God, when the pressure's on. The people of God think, you know, there's some people like, oh my gosh, if there's suffering that breaks out. Yeah, we don't want that. I don't want persecution, but I tell you what, I'm not scared of it. And you shouldn't be either. When we hear about people going through persecution across the world, we should, we should pity, we should pray and cry out for God to bring them out of that. But here's the thing, we should also be emboldened by the faith of people who would stand and get beheaded because they will not refuse to bow the knee to a false god. They will not bow to a false god. And they stay loyal to King Jesus. We should be emboldened and encouraged by that in this church of Philippi. Birthed out of persecution. Birthed out of the supernatural working of the God of the universe. Listen to how they are encouraged by this. Look at verse one, chapter 1, verse 12 and 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what, hap what has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So upon hearing the imprisonment, most of the brothers, not all of them, but most of them, we'll get to that here in a second, most of them, you mean they put Paul in prison for sharing the gospel? Well, don't stop me. My calendar's full. I'm going to preach. I'm going out there. Come on, let's gather everybody we can. We go door to door. Let's talk to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our people that we go to school with, and let's proclaim the gospel of Jesus. If they're being persecuted, there's nothing that's going to stop this gospel. And if they'll suffer for Jesus, I will too. Paul was thrown into prison again. The church at Philippi knew this because they knew firsthand account of Paul being thrown into prison. Wouldn't it be bad again that Paul ends up in prison? It's like, man, my career's going nowhere. I've been in prison so many times, and here I am again, older in age, and now I'm back to the very place I started, back here in prison. You kidding? Talk about great career advancements, you know. Like, up, not a CEO anywhere, he's back in the dungeon. But remember what happened in, in Philippi. It served to advance the gospel. That jailer was saved. A church was planted. It kept growing. And at some point, they even have elders, overseers, and deacons. And they're giving financially to support Paul's work and others. Everyone heard that Paul was in prison for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of his imprisonment. And so now, because Paul's in prison, they hear he's in prison. Everybody throughout the imperial guard is going out and with boldness, speaking without fear. Most were some were not um, there are some upon hearing things like this internally and I want to be patient with every brother and sister in Christ there are some brothers and sisters in Christ that hear about persecution and it terrifies them and it doesn't mean you're not a brother or sister in Christ but I want to jolt you out of that I want to jolt you out of that I do not want you to live in fear we live still in the freest nation in the world. We don't have to fear at this point, maybe some point, persecution. We may face fines. Technically, I could be fined right now. We're not all here mandating our church. It's not mandated masks. If you want to wear a mask, you can. You can do that. But we're not mandating it. There's a cost that could, you can see. I mean, you guys can see this developing, right? There's, there's going to be a, a greater cost. And, and people who are faithful to God's word to speak out against what God clearly speaks to. And society is just, just shoving evil wickedness down our throat. And if we stand up and bold, boldly say, this is what God says, we're not going to budge. We're not going to be mean to you. We're going to love you by telling you the truth. Then, friends, we can see it. I mean, unless you're blind, you can see where it's going, you know. Yeah, we believe in free speech, but we don't believe in hate speech. Well, what's hate speech? Whatever, whatever offends me. Well, there's a lot that we're going to say that's going to offend a lot of people. And if you love people, you love them enough to actually offend them with the truth. Not being offensive intentionally. I don't want to be offensive to anybody. But if you love people, you love them enough to offend them with the truth. Because you want their souls to be saved. And friends, there is a greater risk that I could see in 10, 20, 30 years down the road for, for quite frankly, for me, personally, and for you. And I don't want you to shrink back. Um, think about your life, what it costs you to be a Christian right now. And think about, in the future, what it may cost you. 
I want you to be trained up by the Apostle Paul. I want you to be trained up by Silas. I want you to be trained up through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the book of Philippians, to be confident and bold and unafraid. I don't want you to shake in your boots at that girl that's possessed by a demon. I don't want you to shake in your boots at the Roman Imperial Guard. I don't want you to shake at the authorities, the so-called authorities in this world who hate you. I want you to have confidence to walk in with the authority of God and say, we believe what God has to say and we will not budge. Will you bow your knee to him too? I don't want you to be ashamed of God. But some shrank back and were afraid. By grace, by grace. Every one of us, I don't want us to be a part of the sum. We're going to hear the sufferings of the brothers and sisters in Christ around the world or domestic. We're going to hear about the sufferings of Christians in the scriptures. And we're going to square up those shoulders, spiritual shoulders, and walk in humility and confidence. And we will not be of those who shrink back. We will be of those who grow in confidence and boldness, fearing nothing that's frightening. Friends, there's joy through suffering. There's joy through suffering. Um, the gospel of Jesus cannot be stopped. The economy falls apart. The gospel of Jesus won't fall apart. The United States crumbles. The gospel of Jesus won't crumble. Capitalism is decimated. The gospel can't be decimated. You can strip us. You can beat us. You can throw us in prison. You're going to find us singing and praying. You can't stop us. You can't stop the Holy Spirit of God within you. You can't stop that. You cannot destroy the gospel of Jesus. God, God, godless people can destroy many things. But the good news of Jesus and the power of God is indestructible. Censor us. Arrest us. Put us in jail. Cut off our heads. Burn us at the stake. Whatever you want to do, devil, you're not stopping it. Whatever the world can throw at us, they're going to try to stomp us out. And I love this metaphor. You ever try to get rid of dandelions? You know, you mow your yard in the early spring. And six hours later, your whole yard is full of dandelions just popped up. Stinking, annoying things. What do you do when you go and stomp on it or, you know, kick it or, you know, shove it in your kid's mouth, playing a trick on them or something? Not that I would do that ever. <laughs> Those seeds spread. Indy Wilson had this illustration. You step on this dandelion, you think, I've killed that dandelion. No seeds in the air. And they land, and your yard's full of them. Friends, all across the globe, the enemy in the world is stomping on Christians. There's more persecution and martyrdom today. There's more Christians being martyred than any other religion in the world. Millions of people still losing their faith. The enemy trying to stomp out Christianity, trying to squash the gospel of Jesus. The radical left in our country trying to hates the gospel of Jesus. Hates the gospel of Jesus. Liberal Christianity hates the gospel of Jesus. It's no Christianity at all. And you try to stomp the people of God out, you watch the gospel of Jesus spread. There's nothing, nothing stopping this train. Nothing. So take heart. 
Philippians is going to be a lot of fun. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of God on display, your power on display to plant this church in Philippi. And we know there's rich and poor. There's those who are living uh, uh, what we would define as great lives in the city of Philippi in the region of Macedonia and those who struggled in difficulty. And yet all of them are saved by the same gospel, saved by the same grace. And God, we see people singing through difficulty in a dudgeon singing. I get sitting on my couch watching Hunt in Public with a fireplace going and a great bowl of soup in my lap, smiling and singing, pushing pause, so excited because of how gracious God is. And yes, God, thank you. Yes and amen to those things. Bring more of it. But God, I want the resolve that if I'm naked, beaten, and shackled in a prison, that I'm going to sing and pray just the same. What can you do to men and women like that? Nothing. So God, build us up, encourage us, embolden us, bring confidence. I pray that we would be like the church in Macedonia, full of joy, love for each other, love for the saints, giving to missions, just excited to see the power of God move forward, emboldened by people being persecuted. God, we thank you for your grace. It's going to be a wonderful journey going through this book. Holy Spirit, lead us now as we respond. Help us to sing from the inside out. Prepare our hearts to receive communion here in a minute. If there's anybody that doesn't know you this morning, I pray that you would, just like you did with Lydia, open their heart to hear the truth, and I pray that they would respond.